0: Welcome to the Reading Room. I'm Xeni, the creator of a Writer's Lighthouse. In this podcast, we'll read selected passages from novels, short stories, poetry, and more, and break down the prose to identify what makes a story memorable and impactful, and what we can learn from it as writers. We'll be looking closely at some of the most engaging and immersive narratives in literature to harness and identify the devices and methods which capture the reader. In each episode, I'll read an extract aloud before we work through a short, close reading of one or two paragraphs. We'll then finish with an exercise for you to try at home. Are you ready? Then let's begin. Hello, writers, and welcome to episode eight in the Reading Room podcast. I'm very excited to share today's episode with you. As a lover of lighthouses across the world and the gothic genre, The Lighthouse Witches is a story that called to me long before it reached the bookstores. I wanted to reread and consume the story almost as soon as I'd turned the final page. It was a joy to read the first time, and even more so the second time with my notebook, as I didn't want to add notes in the margin of so beautiful a hardback. Reviews in abundance praised C.J. Cook's atmospheric and compelling story of Liv day and her three daughters at the Longing Lighthouse in Scotland. And the mysterious history of the witch hunts that took place centuries before. The plot is intricate, with magical themes, time lapses and multiple voices heard. Today, we'll be looking at the prose style and the use of the atmosphere as a literary device to craft and deliver this gothic thriller. When we talk of atmosphere, we refer to the emotions readers feel from a narrative that is delivered through the details like setting, background, specific objects and foreshadowing. As you listen to the reading, I'd like you to think about the descriptive language used in the following passages and how this contributes to the setting. Consider also the chosen point of view and what impact this makes. Are you ready? Then let's begin. A sad tale's best for winter. I have one of sprites and goblins. William Shakespeare, The Winter's Tale Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Voltaire They bind our feet and ankles, tear off our clothes and douse us with alcohol. Amy's crying and shaking like a new lamb and I want to reach out to her but Stevens's knife is held to my throat. His face so close I can smell his disgusting breath. He uncurls his fingers to show me the stones before shoving them into my mouth, breaking my teeth. I gag on blood and broken molars. They start to cut Amy's hair, hacking off her silky black locks so close to the skin that blood oozes darkly from her pale scalp. With a terrific lunge, Stevens plunges his knife deep into my chest, scraping my collarbone, the shock of it causing my knees to buckle. I cannot breathe nor speak. Amy lets out a long cry like a wounded animal. Already I can smell the fire. I do not fear it. Wait for me, Amy. Wait. Live. 1998. Longhaven. The Black Isle. Scotland. 1. The lighthouse was called The Longing. Pitched amidst tessellations of rock black as coke. Thrashed for over a hundred years by disconsolate squalls, it needled upwards, spine straight, a white bolt locking earth, sky and ocean together. It was lovely in its decrepitude, feathery paint gnawed off by north winds and rust-blazed window frames, signatures of use and purpose. I always thought lighthouses were beautiful symbols, but this one was more than that. It was hauntingly familiar. Night was drawing in and we hadn't yet met the owner. We'd driven hundreds of miles over mountains, through sleepy villages, along winding roads, usually behind herds of cattle. We had taken a ferry and got lost four times on account of using an outdated, coffee stained A to Z road map with several pages missing. I parked up behind an old Range Rover. We're here, I told the girls, who had fallen asleep against each other in the back. I wrapped my raincoat around Clover. She was wearing only a swimsuit over a pair of jeans and lifted her up to walk a little way along the rocky beach, daubed with spiky patches of moran and tough white flowers. The four of us scanned the bay. It was a raw scene. A full moon hiding behind purple cloud, ocean thrashing against black cliffs, gulls wheeling and shrieking above us. Trees stood like pitchforks, flayed by the wind. They hemmed the island. Watching. Oh my goodness, where should I start? So much to talk about in these very short passages. But let's start at the beginning, with the quotes by William Shakespeare and Voltaire. These are not random. Each quote from history provides insight into the cultures and philosophies of the past. Not only does the theme of magic and folklore tie them together, but also a sense of fear. Cautionary folklore fears of sprites and goblins in the first and a superstitious fear of the other which drives a community towards unforgivable acts. Both quotes serve as a prologue for the novel, and provide forewarning for what is to come, and sets that underlying current and that unease that readers will subconsciously prepare themselves for. Then we are cast into a graphic scene, or vignette, that we quickly identify as a witch trial. A vignette is a short, evocative description, account, or episode, and this account definitely evokes emotion. There is no date at the top of the page. We are simply transported. The prose is raw, brutal, harassing and unsettling. Characteristics that are familiar to the Gothic genre. The descriptive language is visceral and intended to draw those emotions out of us. Listen to some of the words again. I gag on blood and broken molars. They are hacking off Amy's locks so close to the skin that blood oozes darkly from her pale scalp. Twice, Amy is likened to a frightened, wounded animal. We don't know her age, but we assume she is young, like a new lamb, and this imbues a sense of tragedy into the writing. Two names are revealed in this passage, Amy and Stevens, and this provides the identity for each in this context, the hunted and the hunter. Our narrator knows them both, and this adds an additional current of shock to the passage. Why else do you think the author decided to name Amy and Stevens alone? Consider also the impact of the first-person narrative in this passage. This character's voice could be yours. It could be mine. The use of the pronoun I absorbs you into the story and you become part of the collective, our, suffering at the hands of the witch hunters. They do not hold back in their treatment of the women, but neither will I, the voice of the passage, hold back from telling her story. This is a powerful connection between the author and the reader, and it is tied together through the first-person point of view. The passage is also delivered in the present tense, giving it currency. It could be today, and addressing the motif of time that runs through the novel. The final line, wait for me, Amy, wait, carries a chill with it, a sense of strength and hope, but not a finality. And so we too... We'll wait. Still reeling, we are then transported to another time, nineteen ninety-eight, with Liv and her daughters for the first chapter. We know that timelines play a crucial role in the plot and the structure of the novel, and so are compelled to pay attention. Before the paragraph even opens, the location is marked by the black aisle, followed by descriptions of a bleak landscape and stirring up a sense of cold and darkness. While only a short passage. It is bursting with descriptive language and haunting detail that creates that gothic atmosphere. Can we also please take a moment to appreciate the sorrowful but on-point name for the lighthouse? The longing, lovely in its decrepitude and hauntingly familiar. Think of the associations we can draw from this, open to interpretation depending on what a lighthouse symbolises for you. I sense a yearning and hope that is aligned with the beacon which is set against the bleakness of black isles, tessellations of rock and thrashing waves. The harsh and bitter landscape may gnaw at the paint and the white bolt structure of the lighthouse, but for centuries it has continued to needle upwards, spine straight. It is resilient and seems to mirror the strength of our nameless woman in the witch trials, as if binding her spirit to the structure. Let's now look at the penultimate paragraph detailing Liv's arrival at Lonhaven with her daughters. When we meet them, it is at the end of a long and difficult journey, over mountains, through villages and along winding roads, but we are not given the why. Not just yet. The exposition is just enough to provide a sense of place, time and state of mind, and so we will keep reading to reveal more of their backstory. Then we have the final paragraph, we have a family of four females staring out at an unwelcoming, raw scene of the bay against a full moon and a thrashing ocean. All the signs are there with a sense of foreboding. The oppressive image of the trees which stand like pitchforks harnesses our association with witch hunters, personified in their watchfulness as they hem the island and provide a sinister, unsettling close to the chapter. The atmosphere presented in these passages is relentless, hazardous, and ominous, and so readers will anticipate emotions of the same from the images portrayed within the narrative. Do you think chapter one would have delivered the same atmospheric impact without the earlier quotes and the harrowing vignette? Maybe listen to the passages again and make notes on which triggers you responded to from the gothic atmosphere created. If you'd like to share your thoughts and ideas either on today's reading or for the novel as a whole, send me a message at contact at writerslighthouse.com. If you're feeling inspired please do leave a rating and or a view in your favourite podcast app. I would love to hear from you. For today's exercise, which is inspired by Liv Stay and her as yet unknown reason for driving hundreds of miles to Scotland with her daughters, I'd like you to explore the themes of secrets in the context of the Gothic genre. These can be secrets held by a village or community, by a family or group of friends, or held by one person. Start with a seven minute brainstorm to jot down the various plot lines and twists which come to mind. Then review your ideas and select one thread to expand as a story. When writing, consider the language you use and how it drives the mood and setting of your story. For instance, do you intend to haunt and unsettle yet thrill and excite with your writing? Set your timer to 13 minutes and write. If you need help with developing this story idea, you can download my free story mapping guide at my website, awriterslighthouse.com, and proceed from step two. You can also subscribe to my newsletter for monthly writing tips, prompts and resources to guide you on your narrative journey when you need it at writerslighthouse.com forward slash subscribe. Until next time, happy listening, reading and writing with your eyes to the horizon. Thank you for joining me this week. If you haven't already, I hope you'll follow or subscribe to the podcast in your favourite podcast app. We've covered a lot in today's episode, so if you'd like to review the full show notes, including today's exercise, head to a writerslighthouse.com forward slash podcast and search by book title. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. If you know fellow writers who would find these episodes helpful, an Apple podcast review or recommendation would be greatly appreciated to expand our writing community. It's great that you're here on this journey with me in today's episode of the Reading Room podcast. Until next time, keep reading and writing with your eyes to the horizon.